0: Economic
2: indicators. Who knows where this is going to end
1: up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. How are you doing there? It is the weekly podcast. It's David. We all know the score. We're going to try and make economics that little bit more comprehensible and that little bit more up to date and hopefully add a little bit of insight into all of our understanding of the links between economics, politics, and actually this week we're going to talk about the law, which is unusual for us, because this week we're going to talk about the United States, the impeachment process, what it's all about, how it's likely to pan out, and how it frames American politics as we move in to the election year. As always, I have John with me, but before... I talked to him, I'm going to tell you he's looking very down at heel. <laughs> on that basis, if you do like the stuff, and if you do enjoy the podcast, consider supporting us on Patreon, simply because putting it all together is a hoot, as you know, and you can hear you can hear it in our voices, but it does cost a wee bit, and uh, it would be great if you could support us on Patreon. Of course, this week is our big live show week in Vicker Street, uh both John and I thought that our mothers would only turn up, <clears throat> and they actually are going to turn up they, they are They have a combined age of one hundred and seventy, which is pretty impressive <laughs> and they're going to be there. the pair of them but uh Keeping it sucks amazingly uh and I really mean this selling at Vicker Street is a big deal, so thank you all very much for coming along it's made a it 's a huge deal for us to sell out on our first live
2: podcast absolutely and we're going to be there. Thursday night, doing our thing. How Looking are you feeling to- ahead of that, man? Ah, no, it's going to be good. Like I said before, you give me a stage, we'll use it. Listen,
1: it's uh, but exactly. in front of the ma. In front of the ma, <laughs> that's the problem. You have to be nice in front of the ma. That's the problem. You remember, you Bill. Have to ch- watch your language, Mac. Oh yeah, I know, and mine can be very foul, as you know. It can get really, as my mother-in-law said, it can very play But as Bill Clinton once, you know, said about campaigning, it's showtime. <laughs> so showtime on Thursday night. Anyway, let us
2: plow on. Good week, John. Yeah, very good week. Busy all week. All the big projects have kind of wound up now, so I'm kind of getting my head back together slightly. Good. One of good, those big good. projects, of course, was the audio book.
1: The audio book, which will be out next week. And can you believe it? Uh, on Thursday, it looks like we will hit the one million download of Woo! this
2: podcast.
1: Which is pretty cool. That is, is amazing. That pretty,
2: is absolutely incredible. Cool.
1: Okay, so again, thank you all very much. But let's plow on, John. You were talking to me yesterday. You said, "Why don't we do something on American politics?" It's been on your mind.
2: Yeah, I, I, I kind of follow American politics. It's a circus. The whole thing is a circus, but it's a bit of a scary circus, you know. And and Trump is that scary clown. Um, but the whole thing is is rattling on. I'm not really sure if. He's gonna go down or not. I find it hard to it's it seems so obvious to me and to most people that he's as crooked as be Jesus. We know he's a he's an Egypt anyway, but is he gonna go down? And he's so slippery. I'm not sure if if this impeachment is gonna work. And I and I often said as well is that be careful what you wish for, because if if Trump is impeached, we're left with President Pence, who's a complete loon.
1: Well, what we might do, we might leave your uh, personal view of uh, (laughs) President Pence behind. No, but I think you're probably right. I think he is. He is probably a bit of a creationist and all that sort of strange stuff. Uh, Yeah. But to clarify matters, let's talk to somebody who really understands this. One of the great things about Kilkenomics over the years is you get to meet great minds. Yeah. And one of the great ones is Bill Black. He is an old friend. He is an amazing character, special prosecutor, U.S. financial regulator put people behind the bars. Let's get him up in the line from right. Kansas City, Missouri, and let's ask Bill what he thinks of what's going on. Bill, how are you? Good to talk to you.
0: I'm good, thanks.
1: Uh, so, Bill, tell me, what is an impeachment?
0: Impeachment uh, is, if you're precise, is essentially like a grand jury. Uh, that uh, decides to indict someone saying that there is probable evidence that they have committed a violation of the legal standard. In this case, impeachment is something we inherited from the Brits. Uh, it was used in our colonial period to remove uh Royal officials, which the Brits didn't (laughs) appreciate very much, uh, who were acting uh, corruptly and such. People don't know generally that the United States uh, did not begin under the Constitution, but instead under the Articles of Confederation, where we had no head of state. Uh, It wasn't a true national government. It was, as the name implies, just a confederation of co-equal sovereign states. Didn't work very well. Decided they needed to create a strong executive. As soon as they created a strong executive, a president, they said, oh, my God, that's what we had problems with, strong executives. How are we going to restrain them? And the answer they came up with was impeachment. Now, at this juncture, there were no federal laws. Uh, so they couldn't say, if you violate the following federal laws, you'll be impeached. So they used a more general phrase. And that general phrase was treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. But we have a lot of history that shows us uh, some content as to what they meant. First thing they meant is it was up to Congress to defy, not the courts. So this isn't reviewable by the courts. Second thing uh, was they gave examples and they said, okay, the, we're going to give broad presidential powers, but if the president uses those powers for corrupt purposes, uh, then the remedy of impeachment is available. So in particular, uh, we know from the what's called the Federalist Papers, which is where our founders debated these things and proselytized about them. Uh, that they had in mind, abusing the powers that are ordinarily legal by doing so for a corrupt purpose that was designed to help you, the president, rather than the nation. And second, they were worried about treasonous type things because remember we had just come uh, from the United Kingdom. Our, our one of our top generals had turned out to be a spy for the British, and we had senior officials who, in fact, the the first impeachment action uh, was against someone who uh, was actually working with the British corruptly to try to seize part of the United States or the United Kingdom.
1: Okay, excellent, Bill, because that has put it into brilliant historical context for me now. So tell me about Trump. He has done, on both these issues, he is uh, allegedly to have enriched himself or at least... Eventually enrich his own political career, and treasonously maybe undermine the interests of the state. So, is it the two issues that they're they're going at him for, or just one? So uh, the case
0: against Trump. Remember, this is only the grand jury stage. The actual trial, if by majority vote the House of Representatives, acting akin to a grand jury, gives the equivalent of an indictment, which we call impeachment. Then there's an actual trial in the Senate, and it's presided over by the uh, Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. And that one requires a supermajority of two-thirds. Uh, it's a simple majority in the House. That the Senate requires a two-thirds supermajority to actually convict. At which point you are typically removed from office. And impeachment has been used uh, roughly a dozen times against various. Uh, federal officials, mostly judges, two U.S. presidents, and most famously, of course, Nixon, who was not actually impeached because before the vote could be had in the House, a delegation of Republicans went to him, said, you're doomed in both the House and the Senate, and uh, Tr- Tricky Dick decided to resign in those circumstances. The Democrats are trying to put together both of the core concerns that led the framers to put the impeachment clause in. So they're both saying you have corruptly used your powers for personal gain by going after your leading political opponent and trying to use the powers of the government to force yet another government which has been the framers concern that other governments were getting involved in the United States in its very early stages. We were quite vulnerable to this. It happened several times. In reality, it was in the forefront of their minds. And so Trump has blundered into something where he gets a foreign government to involve and allegedly, uh, according to many people, to benefit not the Ukraine, uh, but uh, of course, Putin. And so The Democrats are well within the core of what those concerns were of the framers. So that's been intelligent on their part. And you've just heard in the last several days that the Speaker of the House, which is the most senior position in our House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, has explicitly called it bribery. Why? Because that's one of the specific things listed in the Constitution as a basis Uh, For impeachment and bribery includes, by the way, not just succeeding in bribery, but trying to bribe someone, even if they say no, that constitutes a felony in the United States. It isn't that you would be prosecuted for that felony unless and until you were removed from office, but it is an explicit basis for impeachment. So, again, the Democrats are being good lawyers. In specifically calling it bribery, Uh, obviously it's really bribery and extortion, some combination that they're alleging.
1: Bill, can I ask you about just your own experience of white collar crime and going after and, and, and arranging the case and going through the material and building your case against a president? I mean, how would a special prosecutor build their case against a president? And what would they be coming up against on the other side? So, a
0: special prosecutor would have far more powers and would use them typically far more uh, aggressively. And I was, I played a small role uh, in one of these special prosecutors. But as you said, I led many uh, investigations of elite white collar criminals. So, a prosecutor would have a real grand jury. And in a real grand jury, the defendant's uh, or the witness's lawyer is not allowed, even in the the room to give advice. If you seek any advice, you have to ask for a postponement and then go out and ask your lawyer uh, something. And so, you know, the, the grand jury is a very powerful thing and it seeks not just your testimony, but all of your documents. So a normal special prosecutor would have never done what Mueller did in his investigation. They would have absolutely subpoenaed the president of the United States and forced him to either testify or, in front of cameras, say, "I refuse to testify on the grounds that it might tend to incriminate me, which, uh, you know, politically, uh, could be suicide." For reasons that pass all understanding, Mueller allowed Trump to give written response. Questions, and of course, the written responses are written by his lawyers, and so it's utterly useless. And everyone knew in advance it would be utterly useless. So, what would I do? I would uh, use the grand jury. I would bring in all these folks uh, that uh, are actually being brought in, but I would have all the documents. That would be the key difference. In the United States, we have much broader abilities than many countries to get the underlying documents. And in what you've seen is the underlying documents are terrible for Trump. And then I would put Trump uh, you know, on the stand and force him to either answer the questions or, as we call it, take the Fifth Amendment. And if he answered the questions, we already have past experience where Trump had to answer questions by lawyers under extended questions uh, under oath. And he lied constantly and he was caught at it and he had to admit on the record that he had lied uh, terribly. So it would be catastrophic for the, the president in those circumstances, if you had a real investigation. The Democrats are in a problem and they've attempted to uh, make lemonade out of the lemons that they've been dealt. So the Trump administration is obstructing everything. It's telling every witness, do not testify. uh, Every witness that they want. And so you're seeing an extraordinary thing. Uh, It's now gonna be somewhere near 10 Members of his administration or employees, senior officials that he often appointed personally, who have said, no, I'm going I'm going to go to Congress and I'm going to tell the truth. But they're still being denied the use of their documents, even many of these people were incredible note takers. So, again, those would be killer. And so Trump is trying to stall the whole thing and get it past the election, of course. The Democrats' response is the right one, tactically. They're saying, if you do that, then we will make a separate charge. And that this same charge was used against Bill Clinton and it was used against Nixon, which is by your refusal to answer your questions, your refusal to provide documents without any legal basis, you have obstructed the inquiry. And that itself is a basis for impeachment. So expect to see that.
2: Bill, Bill can I ask you a quick sure. question? What does Article 2 of the Constitution mean for Trump? Trump has been kind of mentioning this every so often. Sure.
0: Article 1 is the Congress, the powers and duties of the Congress. Article 2 is the powers and duties of the executive branch. And so Trump's position is, if I have legal authority to do something, that legal power is unchecked. As I told you, the framers view was different. They said, yes, you have that power. But if you do it for a corrupt purpose, it is a violation of the Constitution and you can be impeached for that. So what we're getting at in a bit is you know, the way we would normally start law school in America is say, uh, constitute when we were teaching constitutional law. Well, we in the United States have a written constitution, where the, whereas the Brits have an unwritten constitution yeah. that consists of traditions. What we've discovered with Trump is how much of an unwritten constitution we also had. So, for example. It was absolutely inappropriate for a president of the United States by tradition to be involved in saying, hey, my Department of Justice should be used to prosecute these folks and these folks, but not these folks, right? But it turns out that tr- tradition just went away with Trump, where he almost openly does those things. And now the question is, and his party is saying, okay. Now, Probably it'll say, okay, but only if Republicans do it. (laughs) (laughs) But otherwise, you create a new tradition, right? And the new tradition is a big chunk of our our unwritten Constitution is gone forever. So that was very interesting. Remember, the Brexit decision by their highest court was on tradition about what it meant to uh, an equally weird, in fact, even weirder word and procedure, prerogament. When that was what, remember, it was, yes, you have this power to do this. Yes, it is the norm, but you cannot do it to avoid allowing the democratic process to work with regard to Brexit. That was the precise nature of the ruling. So it's quite analogous to what we've been saying. Yes, you have a power, but you cannot use it for corrupt purposes was the decision of the high court there.
1: Okay. so how do you. What's your sense now, given all your experience, given your legal experience, given the fact that you've been at the center of something not exactly similar, but a huge, huge event in American public life, and you were on the side of the good guys? What's your sense of how this is going to play out? In the
0: House, it's going to play out very badly for the president. And indeed, the the biggest thing is, can the president take it psychologically? As you know, at the best of times, he has the thinnest of skins uh, you can imagine for any person. And he lashes out in ways that are childish, uh, basically tantrums and such. And he's done that. He did that stupidly and badly uh, uh, earlier about uh, our former ambassador that he fired for absolute no good reason, smear. And she was the great anti-corruption person. His claim, of course, is that this is all about fighting corruption. He got rid of our best fighter against corruption uh, instead. So Trump may do some spectacularly stupid things in response. The Democrats have finally figured out they have to get rid of this stupid five-minute rule which is, you know, each member of the committee gets to ask five minutes of questions and they rotate between Republicans and Democrats and there's no cohesion. And it's easy as a witness just to stall them for five minutes and such. So now they do blocks of questions and the questioning, primary questioning is done by professional investigative uh, litigator types, you know, people like me uh, and, and such. And so seeing vastly more effective questioning you see witnesses that are incredibly um, they you know it's like they came out of hollywood casting for being the best of america and then you see the republicans attacking them for you know they they just attacked somebody on the basis that he was born in the ukraine Um, you know, who's this was was, the
1: soldier? This this was the soldier that
0: yes, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman, yeah, uh, and such. So they're going to since Trump lies about everything and lied about what he did to Ukraine, the Republican defense has been that have decided that they have to lie too and smear everyone. So we've never seen anything like that. We've always had some degree of bipartisan some degree of civility, some degree of seriousness about the task, that this is really among the most important things that we do, um, that's gone uh, entirely. It's a, we've never seen the United States like this. Um, and unless things change enormously, of course, at the end of this process, there will be a vote. The, it's clear uh, from the evidence that the Democrats will vote. Uh, To impeach, they have a majority that is sufficient uh, to uh, adopt articles of impeachment. It's unless something changes dramatically, they will have next to no or literally no Republicans supporting it. And then Trump will win uh, in the Senate where the Republicans have a majority. And we'll see whether the majority leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, who is quite a, you know, he's the guy who said when Obama was elected president, his mission in life, uh, McConnell's mission in life was to ensure that he was not a two-term president. That also was unprecedented in U.S. history. So McConnell may dramatically circumscribe this trial to protect uh, Trump uh, as well. And then we'll have an election uh, uh, on that basis with an incredibly divided nation.
1: Bill, thank you so much for succinctly uh, analysing the issues and explaining your crazy situation to us mere mortals. Cheers, Bill. Bye. Cheers.
2: <laughs> Jesus, Bill is brilliant,
1: isn't he? He's, he's brilliant and he yeah. really clarifies everything. But I suppose he did conclude that the Republicans will be partisan, first time ever. And the Democrats, although they might legally be right, they probably won't
2: get rid of Trump. Okay, so come here, tell me this then. We're a year out from the election. The Democratic race during the summer was up to something like 20 candidates or something like that. Madness. Now it's been whittled down to about three or four. But now,
1: and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off
2: outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Oh, of course, Bloomberg has thrown his hat in the ring, which kind of shakes things up. Before we get into the economics of the whole thing, just give us your rundown of the political side. What's Give us a rundown of the runners and riders.
1: Well, the interesting thing, John, is you shouldn't be uh, ever too shocked by weird rivalries in the left. There's a great expression when it comes to elections that the right seek converts and the left seek traitors. Yeah. And what that's about is that we've said it before and it's really important. You see it here. The right wing, the Republicans, hold their nose at loads of things that Trump does but find one piece of common ground so that they can settle in and convert to his side because they're into power. The left, on the other hand, are in open war against themselves, right? Mm. So they're fighting against themselves all the time because the left always seek traitors before an election rather than galvanizing around one figure, yeah. which they will ultimately do. But right now, they are in civil war mood amongst themselves, they tear the, big, the party apart. They they tear themselves apart. Yeah. The left always do this. Yeah, I've always yeah. it's, it's something you see you see it in the Irish left, you see it in the British left. You know, there's 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 nothing. You know, Alistair Campbell full of getting kicked out of the party by Jeremy Corbyn. That's the way they are.
2: Yeah, right? Yeah.
1: So let's look at the American left, if you regard the Democratic Party as a left wing party, but in in the sense that it is. Obviously, this week things have been blown apart by Bloomberg throwing his hat in the ring. Mm-hmm. Now the thing about Michael Bloomberg, he was the mayor of New York. He brings $50 billion of firepower, his own firepower, to this election. And money really talks in the United States. He's also a really seasoned operator as the mayor of New York. He hates Trump uh, as a fellow New Yorker. But interestingly, even though he owns the Bloomberg terminal that all financial markets works on, he doesn't apparently have great name recognition in the United States itself amongst the average dude. Really? So that's well, he has it, but not as much as you'd think. Yeah, again, underscoring the idea that New York is different. You know, right. it's glamorous; yeah, yeah. it's different. But in the heartland, which they have to win, yeah, Ohio. Well, that was, and, and that was the places. mistake
2: that the Dems exactly. made.
1: And also, he's another plutocrat. You know, so if you're somebody who's feeling left out, I mean, if you think Hillary Clinton's big mistake last time out was she put together an unholy alliance of Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Three very glamorous institutions of American public life, but totally remote from people. You know, her final <laughs> yeah. her final gig was Jay-Z and Beyonce. I mean, that, that doesn't appeal to people anymore. Yeah. That, that just means I'm really remote. I'm really um, miles away. So, you know, Bloomberg runs the risk of being regarded as the plutocratic candidate, even though Trump is the real one. Now, what Bloomberg will basically say is, I'm a proper businessman. I didn't inherit my money. I built it myself. Yeah. I'm the American dream. But it depends who he has behind him as well. depends who he has behind him. But anyway, that's that's queered the pitch a wee bit. And we'll definitely come back to Bloomberg because he is a fascinating uh, character. And as mayor of New York, he has got... Track records, but more importantly, Johnny's got fifty billion
2: smackers yeah. in his arse pocket. Well, I'm sure there's a couple of skeletons in the cupboard as well. Oh, absolutely. That'll absolutely. be fun when they come yeah, yeah. out.
1: So then you have another piece of news we have is Bernie, my my old mate, this time last year I was at Bernie's thinking. I'm actually a fellow of the Sanders Institute. So I'm ooh, close enough to ooh. to the uh, to, to that side and as I said to Bernie when I met him I said like Bernie I'm not particularly left wing and he said no but you know we need people from outside the United States to talk to us about what's going on uh, outside the States because they are very very insular and I was up in Vermont this weekend last year at his in nice. which is a beautiful place it's like, it's like it's kind of like Denmark with nuclear power or nuclear right. weapons, right? Like you fly into it, and it's really all sort of Scandinavian and lovely, and feels like Danish, and yeah. they're into they're into their welfare state and, and and what have you. Except you see the entire airport is full of F one It's a U.S. air force oh, base, right? Is it? Okay, so you, right. you, it's, it's that horrible. It's kind of like it's like Scandinavia, yeah. But it's, If you can imagine Scandinavia with the Russians' military arsenal
2: on tarmac. Right. That's what it feels like. Angry Danes.
1: Yeah, Angry Danes, exactly. And and Bernie, this week, we see, is the first politician ever in the United States to pass 4 million individual donations. Right. Now, this is the polar opposite to Bloomberg, obviously, number one. uh, What does that mean? It means people have given him a few quid, you know, a couple of dollars, five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks. But what it means for politics, and I think this is much more important than the money, even though the money is crucially important, is that's an army. That's right. four million people who will go out and work for you, who've pledged money. They're not just supporters; they are members of a movement, and that's what Bernie will tap into as the campaign goes on. His
2: heart is in the right place. I'm not sure about him, but <laughs> his heart was nearly dodgy. His <laughs> heart was actually, <laughs> <laughs> but his put back in the right exactly, place. Exactly. <laughs> his, his his fixed ticker.
1: No, but again, so he's competing with Elizabeth Warren, and Elizabeth Warren. I interviewed years ago, I did an Australian TV broadcast called Addicted to Money, which was a really interesting show for ABC in Australia, right. and I interviewed Elizabeth Warren when she was a professor at Harvard, and she was so clear, so concise, and also what she had was an amazing turn of phrase, yeah. and an amazing turn of phrase is very important for the campaign. She's quick as hell, Right. Look at her policies because she looks as if she has the momentum behind her for the democratic race. Of Mm. course, Biden is still the old man at the top, okay? But there is a sense that Biden can only lose from here. And who's the momentum with Elizabeth Warren? And she has a really interesting economic policy that if she were elected would change the shape of American capitalism for a generation or two. I look at her, and who I see is Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. Eleanor Roosevelt was the wife of FDR, And many, many people say that Eleanor Roosevelt was the brains behind the operation. Okay. But Roosevelt comes in, 1932. America needs to reset the dial. And Roosevelt and Elizabeth Warren understood one thing about capitalism, which is that capitalism has a tendency towards monopoly, right? The objective of being in a company is to monopolize the market. Of course, yeah. And so once you understand that she understands this, that she's saying the tendency is for companies to err towards monopoly and therefore at some stage, every generation or two, America needs to reset itself because the monopolies have become too big. This is her essential idea. Mm. And because the monopolies have become too big, the fat cats at the top are getting everything the working man and woman at the bottom and in the middle are getting nothing. So this is the way she has framed the election. And I find this interesting because it sounds to me like Roosevelt and the New Deal in the 1930s. So what Roosevelt comes in, he comes in after the great crash, which is not the tailwind that uh, Warren might come in on. But what she comes in on is the great fraud, which is Trump. And if she comes in after the great fraud there will be a natural tendency in the United States to reset that particular clock. Also, I think what's going really well for her at the moment is that all the big beasts of American capitalism are out against her. So Lloyd Blankfein, who is the former head of Goldman Sachs, was out against her. Stephen Schwartzman, who's the head of BlackRock, which is one of the biggest investment companies, is out against her. Mm. They're all coming out and saying... This woman is dangerous.
2: Yeah, now not surprising.
1: She's saying, you know what? That's cool with me. F.D.R. also was accused by big America of being dangerous, and they he said, I sense that they hate me, and I welcome their hate. That was his election campaign. Wow. So what you but have? D- hang yeah, on, go. just
2: just before you, you go there, because she's also talking about breaking up the likes of Facebook and all those kind of characters. Her her basic idea is that
1: capitalism has a tendency towards monopoly. If competition were working, it would be reducing profits for companies and giving back to the average consumer better deals. What we see in America is the opposite. Profits are never being higher. Companies are buying back their shares. That's enriching their shareholders. It's enriching the 1%. The difference between her and Bernie... Bernie describes himself as a democratic socialist who believes in socialism, hmm. uh, as does Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. They're socialists. She's saying, no, no, I'm a capitalist, but we need to reset capitalism. It's got two right. out of out of chunk.
2: Yeah, because, so, of course, the, 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 the word socialist, everyone is terrified of that in the States.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they are. They yeah. are. So her thing is not redistribution, but what she calls pre-distribution. So before the spoils of the economy are delivered to the rich guys, and then government's job is to redistribute the spoils. She's saying, no, 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 pre-distribution. Let's not let the spoils of the economy, and let's reset capitalism. So what she's saying How, is, how does that work? So what she's saying is that we need to break up large monopolies. Mm. So you take Facebook. She's saying Facebook will be forced by American courts to sell WhatsApp and Instagram that basically there's been too much of a concentration of power. She's looking at American pharmaceuticals and saying, you are taking far too much of the health service, so we're going to break you up. She's looking at American banking. She's talking about reintroducing a thing called the Glass-Siegel Act, which was an act that Roosevelt introduced in the 30s, which breaks banks up between deposit banks, where people deposit their money, and investment banks. Now, what happened in the banking system is the investment part of the banks was using depositors' money to speculate on risky shit. She's saying, that's over. If you want to do your risky stuff, you use your own balance sheet. You do not use depositors. This is all eminently sensible stuff. (laughs) I was going to say, I I actually
2: didn't realise that went on.
1: You know, she's also saying, look, private equity, which is the be-all and end-all of Wall Street, right? Mm. I'm the big balls guy. You Remember Gordon Gecko? yeah. Gordon Gecko was greed is good. Greed is good. Well, Gordon Gecko—it's amazing that that's, that was that, that movie was from the eighties, yeah, not the nineties, yeah. right? Oh, look at Gekko, the
2: garb and the get-up. <laughs> I know it's great. We big should,
1: hair. Should big get, shoulders. We should get that shit on, man. I'd love a double-breasted suits the whole I thing. I think I still have one. But listen, uh, Gordon Gecko—I don't know if you remember the, the plot line in Wall Street. I do. Yeah. The row was between Charlie Sheen and his dad, Martin Sheen. Yeah. Martin Sheen was the union head of some airliner Charlie Sheen was Gordon gecko's go-to bagman yeah this is before he became his own bagman in the bizarre hooker trade over <laughs> in California which he did right but if you remember the story right the drama was between the morality of Martin Sheen and Charlie father and son it was against the background of the deregulation of the American airline industry, yeah. where airlines all came up for sale. And guys like Gordon Gecko, who were predators, came in, bought the companies, private equity guys, right? The sort of vulture funds that own mm. half of Ireland, right? Squeeze the asset, screw the workers, default on their pensions, and then sell on the now lean machine to another investor. Yeah. That's their business model. And the morality play in the middle of it was the father and son relationship, right? What Warren is saying is those guys, the Gordon Geckos, those private equity guys, you can do whatever you want, but I'm going to tax you, okay? I'm going to tax you. I'm going to rein you in because you are in an era of deregulation. You are amplifying inequalities because you're sucking all the juice out of these companies. Actually, if you ever want to get behind Wall Street, there's an amazing book by Connie Brooks called The Predator's Ball. And the Predators' Ball was about the rise of Michael Milken, who was the king of these private equity guys. And it was a once-a-year ball mm. of these big swinging dicks. And it is definitely an outrageous
2: read. Right. It's
1: really, really good. So what Warren's saying is, I'm going to go after all these types of fat cats, not because I want to, in order to tax them. What she's saying is, I'm going to tax the top 2% of American wealth households, 15%. She said, I'm going to tax anybody who has an income or net wealth of over 50 million. I'm going to tax them by 2%. And I'm going to tax billionaires 3% on their net wealth.
2: That's totally logical. Yeah, but it's also bugger all. It's bugger all. But if you think about it... In that grand scheme of things. Bill Gates is worth
1: $107 billion, which is kind of ridiculous, right? For him... Warren would suggest he has to pay 6.7 billion, right? Which is still a huge amount of money. Yeah. And what she's saying is we're going to take money off the incredibly rich and we're going to give it to provide maternity leave in the United States, to cancel student loans and to make public universities, not the Ivy League, public universities free. Yeah. This can be all done. It's been costed by simply taxing the 1%. Now, obviously, the 1% are going mad about this. Mm. But what she's doing is she's tapping into this sense that the United States is incredibly unequal. So what she's also saying is that companies in the States which have profits of over $100 million, she's going to tax them an extra 7%. What she's saying, and this is interesting for Ireland, it's not on your profits that you record after you go through the loopholes that you have got your lobbyists to get off the government, it's on the profits in your accounts. Because what she's saying is that all these companies understate their profits using loopholes. Why do they get the loopholes? Because they pay the lobbyists. The lobbyists lobby Congress. This is this thing called 16th Street in Washington. She's all lobbyists. She says that lobbyists are the cancer in American political office. And she's right. Mm. That's why... There's lobbyists in
2: every There's lobbyists, but in the
1: United States, it's really, really... It's kind of in your face. Right, okay. So what she's saying is the market works, but the reason, for example, that the tech giants can get more and more powerful, the reason carbon emissions are not taxed, the reason pharmaceutical companies in America get away with murder, Mm. i.e. huge high prices, is because of lobbyists. So you've got to attack them. So what she's saying is capitalism works if it's fair and you have rules. Because of the tendency towards monopoly, we're at a stage now where the rules have been broken. It's unfair. The rich are getting too much. The poor aren't getting enough. We reset the dial. We start again, which is exactly what Roosevelt said in the 30s. He said, capitalism and the market is the way in which we get rich. But over time, some get too rich and others lose out, so we reset the dial. And the interesting thing is, up until this person emerging, Elizabeth Warren, everyone thought that's that's Bernie, that's radical, etc. She's saying, look, since 1979, the top 5% in the United States have seen their income rise, income, not wealth, income, by... 225%. 225%. The average middle-class family has seen their income rise by 42%. So the top right, is yeah. rising five times faster than the middle, which is also rising much faster than the bottom. And she's saying to create a new society, a new America, what we've got to do is reset the clock.
2: And do you think this is resonating
1: with... with yeah, uh, it's resonating because... But Biden has still beaten her in the polls. He is because of name recognition. Right. You know, he's, he's, been a, he's been a two-time vice president. Joe Biden's been around for a long, long time. Yeah. Everybody says he's a very nice person. He's a very reasonable guy. Sleepy Joe. Sleepy Joe. <laughs> but he doesn't represent the intellectual and policy change that the United States needs. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is she has been gradually and gradually and gradually garnering more and more support. Will that continue? I'm not sure, but it does seem to be resonating with lots and lots of ordinary Americans who are saying, I feel left out, and I think she's the one to watch.
2: Okay, so that sounds like a big endorsement of Elizabeth Before Warren. Which will obviously do her campaign enormously given our <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> yes. Well, of huge course. We we'll have a million downloads now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what's the downside for Elizabeth Warren? And have yes. you considered no, the others? I think
1: I think the downside with Warren, is she maybe puts too much store in the state? And we know from, as Europeans, that the state is not a great operator in most cases. And of course, the question is whether or not, if she goes after the mega rich in America, will it lead to a vilification of the rich and therefore will lead to a change in the way America does business? Will American capital fly? offshore, by saying I'm going to break up the biggest companies, Mm. and by saying I'm going to break up the private equity, she's going to destroy Wall Street. Now, lots of people say that's a very, very good thing, that Wall Street doesn't contribute anything. But my own sense is that it is part and parcel of the American way. And if you go after finance and you really crush it, which is what she might end up doing, is there a sense that you actually do more damage and of course the, the other the, the final thing John is that you know, this is the sort of policy that Obama wanted to go and say yeah but maybe he couldn't say because of his color. Ooh. So the thing is that when you are already stoking up racial issues because of your very color that maybe Obama couldn't do what he wanted to do because he didn't want to give fuel to people say look that's what happens if you have an ethnic president. Yeah. He'll take all our money away. Well, that the was Mitch
2: move. McConnell, as Bill was saying earlier. It yeah. Mitch McConnell who blocked absolutely everything. everything. So the amazing achievement
1: of Obama in the first place might have militated against action in the second. Whereas Elizabeth Warren has a an interesting backstory. She's from Kansas or Oklahoma, very poor, mm. single mother, in the 70s, started to, to work. But she's basically saying America is ready for a female president. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think so. And yeah, it's ready for a radical reset of the capitalist but which is different to Bernie's message, which is more we've got to change the system Yeah, and but change the basic structure of the economy. She's saying, no, we've just got to make it fair.
2: Yeah, I just think that the whole thing will be thrown out the window Depending on the result of this impeachment well,
1: if the impeachment leads, let's say there is something outrageous there and they link <laughs> okay no but no 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 but no but something that Americans really feel is outrageous because America's so divided so you've got like 45 percent still think Trump's doing a good job
2: yeah 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 so yeah. And, and everyone else is never trumpers
1: never Trumpers so you know something huge has to come out. And then the Democrats have to make that stick. So if they can get something that maybe links the impeachment to Putin, for example, to Russia, Mm. and if they can actually get something which is on the area of treason, and if they can appeal to the patriotic military Republican base, which is very much America as the great superpower, and if they can find something, so let's say that happens and he's impeached and he brings down Pence with him, then you're into a situation where whoever is in the lead now in the Democratic Party, are those two beasts who are in the lead, which is Biden and Warren, fight it off very quickly. Mm. And you have a situation where the entire process becomes accelerated, totally contaminated by the impeachment. And the person who maybe stands for something very, very different, but within the bounds of American consciousness of how their country works could absolutely win. And as I said, FDR won against the background of the Great Depression. Warren may well win against the background of the Great Fraud. And that fraud will be Trump if impeached. Before you go, I am delighted this week, really delighted that the audiobook of Renaissance Nation Updated for Brexit and what it's going to mean for us is out on Audible this week. This is the first time I've ever done it, and it actually comes from a suggestion from you, the listeners, who said, Look, we love the podcast. We don't have a huge amount of time on our hands every week to sit down and read a full book, but we'd love to hear an audiobook. So that's it Renaissance Nation, the audiobook, out on Audible from today. Have a gander, would we'll make a really good Christmas present, and I hope you like it.